With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Bradford alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are joined as well by none other than the Theo Ash NFL. Of course, a friend of the show. We've had him on before. We just had his boy Matthew Spawnhour on Wednesday. Now we're bringing on his boy Theo. So, how we doing today, bud? We're doing good. I'm, I'm looking at logan's flag behind him and i realized that there's the binary yes. code and i'm wondering if it like says something is there like a secret message like don't worry LeBron about it don't worry about it you're gonna have to decode that one yourself pal learn binary and then we'll get you a full shot of the flag i learned it at, i learned it senior year of oh. high school so i actually can read oh. it perfectly it says it says it's a date says something yep. bad is gonna happen well maybe don't spoil yeah. the fun for everybody theo it's crazy yeah you guys well all right let's there. talk about some football so we had an interesting thursday night football game last night very exciting divisional matchup and ends up underwhelming a bit we see joe burrow go out midway through this game with what they're calling a sprained wrist Seemed like he might have had some issues with it before the game as well that maybe went unreported. But regardless, he doesn't complete this one. So let's just start with Theo. What was your biggest takeaway from this? That it sucked. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was hyping this up as a potential game of the year candidate Yeah. before it happened. Obviously, the Ravens and Bengals going into it looking like two of the top teams in the AFC and then for all the injuries to happen the way they did it was uh it was disappointing but yeah I mean I I, I don't really see how the Bengals can necessarily recover from this I, going into it it was one of the biggest games of the week in terms of their playoff chances changing if they won or lost mm -hmm. for them to lose and lose Joe Burrow it's just it doesn't get more over than that I feel like at five and five in a great division and so I guess that was my main takeaway is, is just when the Bengals were, were turning the corner and looking like an, uh, an elite team, 
it, it just all came crashing down. Yeah, they don't really... I, I don't think they have any pl- hopes of making the playoffs like at this turn. They really did need this game considering how competitive the AFC North is. And look, man, I was hyping up Jake Browning a couple years ago when he had John Ross to rely on, <laughs> you know... <laughs> he had crazy season. He had like forty-five yeah, touchdowns. Was, yeah, that was like six years ago, though. That was probably twenty seventeen. <laughs> that, that was when he had John Ross, who yeah. is now retired from the NFL. <laughs> yeah, correct. So I, I wouldn't hold out hope uh, for the Bengals' playoff chances without him. I do think. I don't, did you guys think there was a? I feel like this conversation always happens on Thursday night football, uh, and it's magnified with good teams. Do you guys feel like there was a surplus of injuries like in that game that I, I mean that could have been avoided? I it just sucks seeing a lot of guys go down like that, and I felt like it was a little more common. I don't know last night. Uh, last night, I, I guess maybe I don't notice it when it's the Bears and Panthers playing, but when it's two real contenders like this, I don't know. It's a real it's a real punch to the gut, man. I, I think it is quantifiable that there are more injuries on Thursday night, and it just makes sense. You're playing two football games in the span of four days that that can do a lot I mean the big storyline more than what happened in the game was the drop the drop tackling or the hip drop tackling or whatever you want to call it um that you saw with Logan Wilson and I guess that was the big piece of debate coming from this game more than any of the things that happened on the field which I guess my opinion on it is you either launch yourself in that situation or you don't and you hip drop like those are your two options you can't just like continue running at him until you make up the ground it's it's mark andrews and he's got five yards to go until it's the end zone you know like you're not gonna outrun him and tackle him you know he's gonna score so you got to either launch yourself or or try to grab him and like pull him backwards to make the tackle at all so i i don't exactly know what the nfl I know there's talk about banning that tackle. I, I just don't quite know what that would look like or, or how that could be done. Yeah. It cracked me up that Kirk Herbstreet, like, I don't remember what instance it was of Logan Wilson doing that, but at one mm-hmm. point he was just like, Logan Wilson's coming in with bad intentions. <laughs> I was like, wow. He had a kill streak, man. He heard Odell, Lamar, and Mark Andrews. He's going to get game. the UAV yeah. soon, man. <laughs> he did. He did. I think he, he unlocked did. it. He may have. He may have because he he got Odell late. He was coming off grabbing his shoulder. So I don't know. I don't think he did anything like particularly dirty in that game. Like he didn't try to spear anybody or like do anything that was too out of the ordinary. I mean, you see those hip drop tackles like a decent amount. So I I don't think like it's unfortunate that he injured so many players by himself. But he was was really a a one man wrecking crew. (laughs) Yeah. On the broader point of Thursday Night Football and its safety, I think it's interesting that we don't have conclusive data. Nobody's done a study that is like, yeah, people get significantly more frequently injured on Thursday Night Football, at least not that I've seen. In fact, if I remember correctly, most of the studies have been like there's zero difference or there's even uh, slightly fewer injuries, which is just totally counterintuitive and doesn't make sense with anything that first of all, you would just presume, but also that players talk about how their bodies are just starting to feel recovered by Thursday. And now they have to go out there and play a full 60 minutes of football. We've had the same conversations for so long. The product is inferior to what we see on Sundays and in other primetime slots. Generally we're sticking two shitty teams there. And when we actually put two good teams out there, both of them lose multiple key players or multiple key players get banged up at least. 
I think I'm just generally out on the concept of Thursday Night Football. I don't think we need it. Of course, it's never going to go back. Once you add more games to a season, once you add more primetime games, it's always going to be a revenue positive. But for the sake of the league, I really don't think it's a good thing. I wonder if they'd ever look at moving it to Friday. But then I think it's just the convention of that's a high school football night. And obviously, yeah. Saturday's college football. It's like all of those weekend slots are sort of occupied. We are getting Black Friday football, I think, that's what, true. upcoming. That's true. But that's going to be a daytime mm-hmm. game. So it's a little different. Thursday night football just needs to up its production quality in general. Like, they just need to get better games. Al, Al Michaels <laughs> needs to stop yeah. calling the game like he's on horse tranquilizers. <laughs> yeah. The one at the end of the first half just killed me. Lamar. Fires. Caught. <laughs> yeah. It was like a game-changing score. It was crazy. I, I I think there are things that you can do to make it like a more worthy watching experience. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this year is tough. All the primetime games have been bad True. so far this year. And there's just not a lot of good teams right now. So like it, it's tough to schedule an exciting game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it has been completely, completely a... a a net negative night of football that I, I usually watch, you know, offhand or don't watch at all. Honestly, yeah. like there's better ways for me to spend my time than, than watching these games a lot of the times. And unfortunately this was another instance of it in terms of like other things that happened during this game. I, I mean, I think the, the Ravens were really impressive, like on offense, yeah. obviously the, the Bengals defense isn't too banged up. And I thought the line did a great job The the left tackle took some early L's to Trey Hendrickson um, in, in relief of Ronnie Stanley. But after the first quarter or so, I thought that um, he kind of locked in. Mackay? M- 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 I can't oh, remember his Patrick name. Oh, Patrick Macari, yeah. Macari. You guys would know. You guys would know. So, yeah, Macari, I thought, held up okay, honestly, in, in, his, in Stanley's absence. And then the rest of the line, really, there wasn't much pressure on Lamar all night. I didn't chart too many L's. I looked at PFF. They agreed it was only eight pressures all night, not a high number. The Ravens faced a lot of man coverage across the board, and their receivers were winning. Odell mm-hmm. had a big night. Um, Zay Flowers, on like mm. very early in the game, had a big breakaway uh, catch after or run after catch. Bateman, he didn't have the greatest game, but he had a touchdown against man coverage. Cam Taylor Britt at the end of the first half. And they were able to run the football as well, and they didn't really do it much in the first half because they were having so much success passing the ball. Mm-hmm. But when it was time to you know, hold that lead, they were able to, to get the ground game going as well against a good Bengals defense. So Lamar played good, the line played good, the receivers played good against a, a defense that didn't have the same excuses that the offense did. So it was still an encouraging performance from the Ravens. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't all Mickey Mouse because obviously the bro injury doesn't really affect that, yeah. that side of the ball. Uh, yeah, McCarty's been great in relief over the past couple years uh, when Ravens O-linemen go down. He's filled in at center, he's filled in at guard, he's filled in at tackle, too. We do see another key Raven go down in this game, like you guys alluded to, Mark Andrews with the ankle injury. I do want to ask, with the success that we saw from the Ravens offense, Theo, do you think they're built to withstand that injury uh, with Andrews out the rest of the year? I mean, he's been you know, Lamar's leading receiver for a few years now. I think that they are built to to withstand a Mark Andrews injury, although it's certainly not ideal. Like, they can get an 11 personnel and still have plenty of dangerous weapons out there on the field. And the wide receivers that I just named, Isaiah Likely and, and Kolar, both have 
potential. Um, both are really smooth movers for their size, like vertical threats, like, like Andrews was, um, they're really, really multiple in their personnel. I, I saw, you know, 11 personnel, obviously 12, obviously, but also a lot of 21 with the fullback Ricard in there, 22 with Ricard and two tight ends. I think I even saw 20 with, with two backs and no tight ends out there. And then they, you know, can stretch you vertically. They can run from any of those looks. So I, I think it's still a plenty dangerous offense to defend. And in an AFC where, you know, the Dolphins haven't really proven themselves to be elite against a good team. The Chiefs are, are not at their strongest point. You know, the Bengals look to be out of it. The Browns are and Steelers are up there in seeding, but it's like they're not actually <laughs> threats. So I, I actually do think that they can overcome a Mark Andrews injury, although obviously him and Lamar's chemistry and and his ability to separate versus man coverage, like it, it it's a huge loss, but no one really is clearly better than the Ravens right now. So they, they still might be the best. It feels like pretty clearly within the AFC, if you're just looking at the totality of the talent on the roster, they have to be number one. And I think that's what we would have said in the preseason. And injuries are always a concern for them. Like the Andrews thing sucks, but it's a clearly improved receiving core. And I think that when Lamar is playing at this level, you're just effectively guaranteed to have an elite offense and i think it's so in in all aspects yeah and absolutely anything that you want to do yeah yeah i mean it's so remarkable like obviously he is the greatest rushing threat that we've ever seen from the quarterback position but his efficiency as a passer this year with that improved receiving core has been spectacular like they're a top five efficiency rushing offense which they always are but they're a top five efficiency passing offense that's just the lamar impact and i don't understand why it feels like a lot of people are just waiting for the opportunity to declare that Lamar is overrated. It felt like there was not a consensus, but maybe a majority of people felt that he was the MVP at the midseason point in doing those polls. We did a show on it. And then he has one down week, a bad mistake against the Browns. And all of a sudden you see a discourse about how Lamar's not really all that. I just can't wrap my head around that. I think that he has been very arguably the best quarterback in football this regular season. Yeah, he's been he's been elite. The arm talent really like has always been underrated with him. And there were so many throws last night where he went deep and like the ball just explodes out of his hands. Like the velocity is is crazy with him. He has the elasticity and flexibility with his release where he can make any throw from any platform, like throw it around guys, over guys, like his release points are crazy, arm talent crazy or strength crazy poise in the pocket like hanging in collapsing pockets like he can do that he likes to scramble but he just doesn't care about pressure at all and if it means standing in there and making a jump pass from you know when he has one square foot to work with with things crashing in around him like he can do that there there is there, there really isn't a weakness maybe accuracy down the field like they've been I shouldn't even say maybe that has been the weakness so far this year uh is is trying to hit those big plays, but they've been so so close on all of them, like that you can't really ignore it as a threat. So he's, I mean, yeah, he's he's always been a bit underrated. The numbers have been down since his MVP campaign, yeah. but like again, who 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 has he been working with at wide receiver? Seriously. Like Willie Sneed, yeah. <laughs> Chris Moore, man. Chris Moore, uh, yeah. You you guys, Al Aguilar, oh, Aguilar. Uh, yeah. Shout out him for the tutty last he had, a huge, he had an awesome touchdown. Yeah. It's incredible. 
he's so clearly the greatest play extender ever when you talk about that ability to just make dudes miss in the pocket even if he's not scrambling and you see it multiple times every game like the touchdown pass to Bateman the almost touchdown pass which I believe was also to Bateman where he scrambles for 10 plus seconds of age multiple sacks and then still puts that ball pretty much on the money that right was to over flowers oh, to that flowers. was a, a crazy that was a crazy and flowers is like five eight you know yeah. like if that was to Bateman that probably would have been a score it was an amazing throw unbelievable ball you mentioned the variety of deliveries like the arm angle on that deep throw to Odell He's just incredible. And I understand the production individually has been underwhelming the last couple of years, but the impact on his offense, the stress that he puts on defenses, how inevitably dominant you're going to be as a rushing attack and how good you're going to be as a passing attack. If you just put competent weapons around him, it's so obvious. Like they put up 29 points per game with Lamar as the starter since he took over and they put up 17 and change without him. There's yeah. almost nobody who has and that he has like a Tom impact. Brady he has like a Tom Brady winning percentage yeah. too. Like it's, he's, he's pretty good. He's, yeah. he's I've always been a big <laughs> Lamar fan. Uh, the, the advanced analytics don't always flesh that out. But again, every, every quarterback stat is a passing offense stat. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can't, you can't complete passes without the, the line blocking and the receivers catching and the coordinator coordinating it. Like now that there's actually attention to detail in the passing game and like, the spacing is good down the field. You see what's happening. I think there's, I think the reason people have issues with Lamar or for, well, for two reasons. One, I think it's a playoff track record, right? That we actually haven't seen Lamar do it on the biggest stage. And then the fact that Lamar holds the ball like a loaf of bread, that's kind of my only <laughs> knock on him, you know, where he'll get out of the pocket and just kind of, you know, he's just holding on to it. But he's, I, he, <laughs> go ahead you finish your th- i've got it oh no i, I was just gonna that. say i i'm so glad that you mentioned his arm strength man because i do think that just goes so it just gets so lost with it and i know this is the apples to apples comparison with lamar but it really does remind me of like if you took michael vick like in the mid-2000s and you took his arm from the 2010 eagles team like i think people forget about with vick man he had that same lamar stuff where it was just the the flick of the wrist man and it's jumping 40 yards 50 yards off of his wrist it looks just so effortlessly and i think even with 2010 vic when he was maximized when he got out and back in the league i think lamar is completely in a different tier uh, you know as a passer yeah. and as an engine yeah it, it, lamar is just still criminally underrated and underappreciated it feels like man yeah he's he's a planet ever everything orbits around him <laughs> and the other weakness you, you talk about the ball security the other thing that he does he is really greedy with the mesh point on reads uh, sometimes, and like he will try to pull it out of the running back's arms like way too long into the play, and he's he's fumbled a couple mm-hmm. of those this year. So so that might be another thing that you could uh, look at as a weakness is like general ball security, not so much because of picks or bad decisions, but in terms of yeah how he holds the football and and how he hands the ball off on some of those keepers. So. Considering the Andrews injury, who do you guys view as the best team in the AFC right now? It feels to me like the Ravens and Chiefs have separated from the pack a bit. Who would you guys lean in that conversation? I said it was the Bengals two weeks ago. (laughs) Tough with Jake Browning. (laughs) Tough, tough. Not anymore. Um, Not anymore. The Chiefs are so hard to discount because of Mahomes and the defense. Totally. And, and And the idea of 
a wide receiver breaking out like at the right time towards the end would probably make them the most formidable team because I, I think their defense is just as good as Baltimore's. I don't think the stats quite flesh that out, but just from a talent perspective, I think they're right there. And and the Chiefs have very good numbers as well in terms of their defensive yeah. efficiency. They also don't quite have the same injury concerns that the Raiders do, that the Ravens do. Yeah. I think the Chiefs are on top until proven otherwise is probably the way I would look at it. And I probably should have said that when I thought the Bengals were the best. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I just I do get concerned about like Odell and Lamar and, and Bateman who've suffered all of these crazy injuries. Humphreys banged up. Like, yeah, I, I just don't know if the Ravens will have the gas. And I think the Chiefs are probably the safer bet. I don't really have a ton to add. I mean, I completely agree with everything you said, Theo. At five years, five AFC title games, man, it's really hard to count against the track record. What about the Steelers, though? The Steelers. Dude, the Steelers are <laughs> – Theo, I've said this uh, since the beginning of the season. The, the Steelers are a legitimately bad football team. Like, they, they are a bad football team. Hey, buddy, winning ugly is still winning. And that's all they do. <laughs> I want to ask you guys one last thing about the game that we saw last night. The refs were on one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were on one. <laughs> oh, my God. The the DPI on, I think it was number 20, the rookie out of Michigan, whose name is... Oh, DJ Turner, me. yeah. DJ Turner. Uh, that one was, they were, they just missed on that yeah. one. And then the, the cl- a great oh. block of, by Odell. Yeah, dude. Yeah because of holding it's like he was in his frame like within the cylinder the whole time but whatever the zay flowers td broke me man and it's like they just seem so petty dude it really like infuriates me as a fan like when you just mess with the rhythm and the flow of the game if it's basketball if it's football yeah. like do you guys remember that one the one that made me angry i think it was like chiefs titans from five years ago or something when Mariota had like nine attempts at the end zone and they finally got it in mm. It just points in this game reminded me of that where I'm like, guys, can we just play the game? The all the unnecessary and I know Baltimore's a roush is like a rowdy place to play and it was hard to hear, but the delay of game calls, man, the whole it was just it was really excessive, man, and I, I felt like it messed with the flow of the game. Yeah. Down the that was part of the reason that the that the Bengals couldn't play that man coverage. It wasn't just that they were losing, like they lost plenty of reps, but the P, the PI calls mm-hmm. like they just couldn't avoid them. It was a it was a game where the refs were not letting them play at all. So anything any kind of contact down the field just ruined it. So it was a bad game for man coverage. I'm gonna take a different angle here. I love it when I turn on my TV. I'm looking for <laughs> Land Clark. I want to hear his beautiful voice. I want to see him at midfield. That's all that I'm there for. I agree. The officiating sucked. And for me on the point of the AFC favorite, it's the same line of thinking Mahomes and by far the best defense of his career. Now with Lamar losing as a number one target, as good as Zay flowers has been this year and as lethal as he is in space and as good as Odell was last night. I just think that that's a meaningful hit. And I trust that chiefs formula so much. And for the Bengals, even if it's just a couple weeks, man, no burrow for the Steelers and the Jags. Like you can't win those games with Jake Browning. Poor Jake Browning. I don't. Well, you could beat the Steelers with Jake Browning. Uh, do you really think so? I think Jake. Yes. Browning... You could. You could. Yes. Out, you could. You could outgain the Steelers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you, and you will. You will. <laughs> let me. Let me. Let me get this out. I, I've been saying this for the past couple weeks too, because we're not going to talk about the Steelers today. Let me stretch this itch real quick. We could. If if <laughs> we could. 
If you don't turn the ball over and you score three touchdowns, you will beat the Steelers. How? That's the formula. It's very simple. How is Jake... You'll beat a lot of teams if you do that. Yeah, but also, how is Jake Browning <laughs> going to do that when they also can't run the football <laughs> against the Steelers' defense? No chance, pal. I'd probably you guys still are going to get nine sacks. You're saying there's not a chance? Carson, I think you forget about all the bad quarterbacks Mike Tomlin has lost to in his tenure, man. <laughs> no, I remember all the bad quarterbacks Mike Tomlin <laughs> has won with because it's what he's been doing for three years. The Bengals, they're in a rough spot, and the AFC, like, the top of it may not be the strongest that we've seen in recent years, but the depth, like, when you're looking at those wild card spots, you might have to get 10 wins. Maybe it's just nine, but they're in a very tough spot, and it's a bummer to see Joe Scheiste just have such an injury-riddled season. Obviously, we didn't really see him for the first three weeks because of the calf, and then he gets back to that elite form, and now he's dealing with this. That's a bummer. But you know what's more of a bummer, fellas? Is the Buffalo Bills. My Buffalo Bills, who are just an absolute shit show. We did a little emergency podcast after they lost to the Broncos and maybe the worst loss anybody has taken this year, rivaled only by what they did to the Jets in Week 1, where they had four turnovers and a punt return touchdown allowed to close it. But... Theo, what's your take on just the disastrous state there? Specifically, let's start with them firing Ken Dorsey. Because I know there's a divide on people who think that that's sort of a scapegoating versus people who think that action legitimately had to be taken. Where do you fall on that? I think it's um, a bit of a scapegoating. That's that's probably more where I fall on it. But I think that as if you're Sean McDermott, who said that it was 100% his decision to make this move, you know, and you're the head coach and defensive coordinator mm-hmm. of the team, so you're spreading yourself thin. In in the meantime, as that is happening, you lose. Uh, you lose. Not Von Miller. I mean, but he's been invisible. No, let's face you it. They, 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 they might as well have lost yeah. Von Miller. He plays twenty percent of the snaps and does nothing. Yeah, yeah. Matt Milano, obviously the biggest one. Trey White was kind of having a bounce back season, and then he pops his Achilles again. Um, Jones, the defensive tackle, was yep. having a Pro Bowl caliber year, and then he goes down. So he's just putting out fires, and the defense has been fine. And as the defensive coordinator, I don't think he can worry too much about the offense. Like I don't think that he is probably very involved on that side of the ball. So he has stretched himself literally as thin as possible. And then you've got an offense that should be at the peak of their powers with Diggs, Davis, Kincaid, the offensive line healthy, Josh Allen healthy. Like, basically... Is, this should be the best version of the Bills offense that we have seen. Mm-hmm. That offense that doesn't have the excuses that he has, basically dicking around, like throwing bad picks, you know, turning the ball over, putting the defense in bad positions that it shouldn't when they are already banged up. I think that's just for a, for a head coach who probably doesn't care about DVOA, who probably doesn't care about EPA, like that's a cardinal sin. And he's got to be like, you're fumbling the handoffs. What do you guys work on over there, mm-hmm. you know, at practice? <laughs> and the other thing is, like, he can't really punish Josh Allen. He can't really punish Stephon Diggs. He can't really yeah. hold any players. That can, like, you're not going to bench Dalton Kincaid for trying to hurdle over somebody and holding the ball in one hand in the red zone against the Bengals and then fumbling, you know? Like, who are you going to put in, Morris? You know, mm-hmm. like, you're not going to do that. So for all the mistakes, there's really only one guy who can be – held accountable and that's Ken Dorsey so I think that just the the boneheaded mistakes that the offense has made although the the general results have been good I, I think it's just one too many for Sean McDermott um, I think that they're pretty unforgivable when you look at 
how he is probably looking at the team. And I think that he was just like, whether it be a message to Josh Allen that like your actions do have comp consequences, like you do have to lock in, you do have to limit the turnovers. Like, I think that, that that's what this move was about. But I do think that that kind of mindset is a little bit, you know, old fashioned coach speak, because mm. I think turnovers are something you got to live with because Josh Allen creates big plays at such a huge rate. Yeah that it's still a huge net positive. The Bills are number one in the league, like in success rate right now. They are like Josh Allen is at the top of the league in all the passing stats so far this year. And unfortunately, interceptions come with that. But overall, I think that's still kind of where you want to be as an offense. Like, and you kind of live and die by his decisions. And really this game and week one against the Jets were really the only ones where he was making all these unforgivable mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like the stretch in between the first game and the most recent one, like you can't, he's probably the least turnover prone that he's been in his career over that specific stretch. So it still seems like a bit of an overreaction, even though I kind of understand, like, I think why Sean McDermott was, was frustrated with the offense. You really do live with the gunslinger and die by the gunslinger. And I don't think the firing was an issue of, you know, has Ken Dorsey been bad this season? Because I think any Bills fan will tell you and anybody that has watched Bills games will tell you that Ken Dorsey has been bad. I think that you're right that it came specifically after the circumstances of this game. You know, all the turnovers, all the bad plays with the offense, the fumble on the opening drive, the fumble on the handoff, the bad Josh Allen picks, the bad decisions. And then... Again, the specific way you lose this football game, the fact that you have 12 men on the field, you know, none yep. of these things are direct, directed, you know, choices impacted by Ken Dorsey. Yeah. I think that's why most people took issue with it. So uh, for me, I agree with you, Theo. Like, I think specifically right after this game, you know, I'm not saying it was the wrong decision, but, it, you know, all of these, the reason they lost this game wasn't directly because of Ken Dorsey. And I think it's a lot to ask of a guy you hired, you know, right after the Super Bowl in the offseason and Joe Brady to come in here and try to overhaul and fix this offense within the span of the week. Now, I'm not in the facility, so I can't speak to how much involvement he's had with the offense since, you know, joining the facility. He's the quarterback coach. He has been since February. But it's a lot to ask of a guy to step in, take over, and get this team ready to go in such a short, you know, time period. And I just don't know, like, what they expect to that will change like are they gonna run the ball a lot more like I don't think you should do that I, I like you have Josh Allen you have Stefan Diggs you look at the Chiefs you know and the Bengals two teams that have been the most successful in the AFC over the past couple of years they're always at the top of the league in pass rate like when you have that ca ca caliber of quarterback I, I get that run game isn't really part of their identity I think that's okay when when the offensive numbers look like they do um so it's like is is he gonna call the game differently like I I don't really I Carson you're a Bills fan I don't know if you had any problems with Car Ken Dorsey's offense I thought it was like it wasn't revolutionary or anything but I when I watched it I didn't say like holy cow like they don't know what they're <laughs> doing with digs they don't know what they're doing with the run game like they don't know they even ran the well well versus versus the Broncos so I, I so it's like I, I don't necessarily it's like just got to be like a culture move like all of a sudden Allen is gonna be like on his best behavior but it's like he was from week two to, to nine basically I, I don't know so here's my take on it as someone who watches pretty much every single down of bill's football 
First of all, I think you guys both make a lot of very good points. Logan, if there are not 12 men on the field, something Ken Dorsey has mm -hmm. nothing to do with, he does not get fired at this point. Like, that was the culmination of the disaster, and then it became, all right, well, who do we blame for this? And people turned to Ken Dorsey. But I do think that that is very much justified. And everybody's looking at a lot of the advanced numbers and how successful the Bills offense has been if you just take out the turnovers, the back-breaking bad plays. As you mentioned, Theo, number one in success rate. They're the number two third down offense. They're a super efficient red zone offense. My take is just that doesn't have anything to do with Ken Dorsey. That is 100% a Josh Allen product. Josh himself carried three straight top three scoring offenses before this year, twice led the Bills to be the number one third down offense, and he did that without super inspiring skill position talent alongside him. Diggs is obviously amazing, but... Gabe Davis as a number two target was really suboptimal. The line has had very mediocre stretches, and he still is going to single-handedly make you an elite offense. So the numbers just don't move me when I believe Josh could lead the Bills offense to that success with really anybody calling plays. And then I do have pretty concrete issues with some of the decision-making from Dorsey this year. I thought he was a bad situational play caller. And I think one thing that any Bills fan will have a gripe with, and it's very specific, but it is just painful and it speaks to a lack of situational awareness, is this obsession that Dorsey had with these delayed handoffs out of shotgun, particularly in goal line situations, which is inexplicable. You have like the most powerful athlete at quarterback there. If you're going to run the football, maybe use him. If you're going to if you're gonna run the football with a traditional handoff, why would you do it out of shotgun? Or you could run some sort of RPO, right? Get Josh out there in space, weaponize his athleticism. To just say, all right, let's get a delayed handoff to Latavius Murray out of shotgun. It basically never worked. And so then you're just like, what kind of guy do we have calling plays here? Another thing that was frustrating was the continued emphasis on having Josh run the football less. And I understand that people want to protect his body, but I think Josh is kind of Superman. Like, obviously, he got banged up last year. That was the first time he's been hurt at all in his career. And to me... And that was on a big throw, too. Exactly. Not on a run. Yeah. Yet. And so people talk about, oh, he can't take these unwarranted hits. But it's like, this dude has been unbelievably healthy throughout his career. He is generally going to be bigger and stronger than any linebacker that's crashing down on him, certainly than any DB. And part of what makes him so special is that improvisation, is that willingness to go out there and try to make these crazy high upside plays because way more often than not, that's actually going to work out for you. And he's running the ball fewer than five times a game this year under Dable in 2021. That was over seven. The RPOs have also really scaled down to five a game this year versus seven and a half in 2021. So some of the stuff that Josh does best, I feel like they've gone away from. And then consistently... I understand that the overall numbers for the Bills offense are very good, but as a first-half offense, they have been abysmal for six weeks. They're averaging seven points per game in first halves since that Jags game. Every single time, they're playing from behind against these teams that just aren't very good. And I think that Dorsey bears responsibility for that in not building a rhythm for Josh. Oftentimes, it feels like the opening drive is just sort of disjointed. Like maybe they open with a handoff that gets stuffed and they're not setting up the quick passing game where I think Josh is really effective when he's dialed into that mindset. People talk about how he always wants to take the home run and yeah, maybe more than the average quarterback. But what I always talk about is how quote unquote game manager Josh, cerebral Josh, is phenomenal. Like, go look at the Raiders game that he played earlier this year, where he basically doesn't take any shots downfield. He's just dissecting over and over and over again. He can be a great offensive player like that. And part of it is personnel, I think. Like, 
I probably undersold coming into this year just how the weapons had regressed since the peak of the Josh Allen offense when they had, and I understand the production is similar, but when you had John Brown as a really high-level deep threat, and more importantly, when you had Cole Beasley as such a great possession receiver, a guy who could attack the short and intermediate areas, Kincaid has really come along, but Gabe Davis is just so raw and is so inconsistent with his hands and just not good. So I think that's a limitation as well that sometimes makes them far too singularly dependent on Diggs. And then I do think he's just not a creative play caller. Like, Dable would draw dudes open in a way where I was like, wow, man, like, you made that happen. The fact that you came up with that route is the reason that this was a successful play. I almost never feel that way with Dorsey. And we have one of the lowest motion rates in the NFL. I know that that's obviously not, like, singularly going to represent creativity. The more, but, the more motion you have, the better you are. Yeah, of course not. But it's like, there's <laughs> yeah. not really eye candy here. Yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing new like it's and and i think as a especially in the run game it's not necessarily he's not like a talented he's not good at mixing the run game in throughout the course of the game i feel like it's a lot of times it's like okay we gotta this is gonna be a run the football drive and they just like do it and that's what happened versus the broncos and they called the same exact play over and over and over again and that's not bad because it was working uh they were calling that power play out of gun and they literally just did it over and over and over again. They were like, but the reason why it works to me is not necessarily like that's just a great play call, like what a job by Ken Dorsey. It's that you throw it so much, defenses are worried about Josh Allen, you get the light boxes, and then when you just like are going against the Broncos front seven, you can get some traction on the ground. It's not necessarily that it was like wonderful play design or, or game calling. I, I feel like mixing in the runs throughout the course of the game and like being balanced throughout the course of the game isn't really there. It's like, it's almost phases where it's like pass, 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 pass. And then it's like, shit, like, okay, we got to run it a little bit more. And then it's run, 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 run. It, it almost seems to happen in, in streaks like that with his play calling. I think that Ken Dorsey, certainly the issues aren't all his fault, but I don't think that he's some elite offensive coordinator either. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I go back and forth on it, and I think, you know, he probably didn't deserve to be fired for his performance, even though I agree, Carson. Josh Allen makes your offense's floor extremely high when you have a quarterback like that, and the numbers that they're hitting right now are have more to do with that than Ken Dorsey, and in a lot of their metrics, they're probably, like, when you just watch the Bills' offense, it, it does feel like they're operating closer to their floor um, than their ceiling since really the Dolphins game. And I, I think you guys make a lot of great points. Carson, the talent regression, another guy that you don't mention too. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is a dream number two to have too. You know, I, I think the biggest condemnation of Dorsey is what you talk about with the opening drives. I mean, guys plan all week long for the opening game script against a defense that is going to come out and normally run what they run, and for them to be that unsuccessful is huge. Uh, reading more into this firing, I mean, I think this says more about Sean McDermott's job security than anything else. Is This is such a move of desperation. This signals to me that McDermott is scared that if the offense doesn't turn it around, the strength of this football team, that they're going to miss the playoffs. 
and he's going to be fired if they miss the playoffs. To me, that's what this move says more about this team than anything else, is that they are in serious disarray and that McDermott is scrambling. Like, he's They have to do something, yeah. Like, he uh, feels like he has to do something. But I, and, it, I, and he yeah. mentioned the, the opening game script, by the mm-hmm. way, Carson. Like, in the press conference, he said, like, what am I looking for? I'm looking for the offense to basically come out hot. Yeah. Uh, and, like... And that's another thing. Just when we talk about the offensive numbers, we have to think about where those numbers were at after week four when they had hung 38 on Vegas and then 37 on Washington and then 48 on Miami. They were humming. Since then, they've taken a real step back. So when you talk about it not being solely a Ken Dorsey issue, Theo, I'm with you. It's not that he's an exceptionally bad play caller. I just don't think he's a good one. And I don't see a reason to be complacent when you have a Josh Allen level talent and things aren't going well, and you can attribute uh, to me a real portion of that blame to the offensive coordinator, like I'm just not good with average when you have Josh Allen. I think they should be pushing to have, first of all, a better head coach. I think McDermott should be gone at the end of this year. I don't think he's elevating this team anymore. I do think he's a good defensive coach. I think he's a good guy in terms of building culture, but I think what takes this team to the next level is a great offensive mind, is a true innovator, a guy who can enhance even the strengths of this Bills offense that already exist. And so to me, if you just looked at this year and said, oh yeah, the Bills went eight and nine and they regressed in basically every way, but they retained everybody because they're still not bad. That to me would be missing the point. Your goal is to get the most out of these guys and the most out of this window and to win a Super Bowl. And this year has been a huge, huge disappointment by that standard. Yeah, the other thing that the other guy who might be on the hot seat is the GM. I mean, Dean, yeah. <laughs> they're drafting and and really the offensive talent around Allen. I, I really didn't like the Kincaid draft pick. I'll say that. Like, I, I know that he's come on pretty strong here, but I just feel like having just this big slot receiver isn't the type of threat that they needed. They need a real... Yeah second star next to Diggs, and it's to run back Gabe Davis again after he got his opportunity to be wide receiver too he got his opportunity for a breakout year and it just didn't materialize and then to run it back with him like I I don't know why in that Cincinnati playoff game I thought it was very clear like yeah there wasn't really a lot of talent on that field outside of Diggs and Allen and to go back at it with with Gabe Davis again after he kind of showed that he didn't have what it takes like expecting a huge leap for him for no reason was a bad gamble um to draft a tight end and a guard like okay how much does that really move the the needle when there's such a glaring weakness in the receiving core i i i i don't love how they uh, approach this offseason we have seen some rookies come on from the draft that they passed on i mean theo would you have preferred them taking uh, a Sam Laporta, you know, a different tight end. I had Sam Laporta graded higher than Kincaid, um, although Kincaid has been quite good. Yeah. So it's not like all his fault. I just think, like, in terms of the the resources, I, I just didn't think they added enough offensive talent yeah. to get over the hump. And I think that's the number one thing more than play caller that they need is, like, someone, Diggs is going to get a lot of attention. It's all about winning the one-on-one on the other side. Yeah. And it's like... Davis zero catches zero yards against the Bengals a huge drop that turns into a pick you know yeah. like I, I he doesn't move me yeah they're more they're, and the bills are more focused on making hope core TikToks than, uh, <laughs> well hold on now <laughs> hold on they kill practicing they kill they do they 
They got to scale it back, though. They're t- putting too much effort into it. Dude, did you see? <laughs> it's like, what do they practice? It's like they're they're filming, like, <laughs> this very advanced meme yeah. that takes, like, 500 yeah. edits. It's like, that's what they're doing during the week, and it shows. I think that's good for workplace culture. Did you see the TikTok <laughs> they did with Kincaid where they were, like, having him fill in the blank? And so it would be like, Jesse, we need to... And then he would say, cook. He actually didn't get it right. But And then the one that they ended on was blank in Paris. Do they yeah. ever, <laughs> does the defense ever take part in these videos? I feel like it's always Grape, Davis, and Allen, and Kincaid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas the, de- the defense is locked in. The offense at practice is out filming Dude, TikToks on the sideline all day. I'm not going <laughs> to exculpate the defense here, though. I don't think the defense has been good. And to be fair, it's basically a second-string defense at this point. Like, when Mike is out and Benford is out. You're missing a majority of your defensive starters. And when Von Miller sucks, like the pass rush overall, I think the front has really progressed nicely. That's where they have hit in the draft with Epinesa and Ed Oliver and Greg Rousseau. Uh, I think that bringing in Leonard Floyd was a very good move. So even with Von sucking, like they're still doing okay there. But to me, and you hit on this earlier, the season ended for the Bills in the first half of that Jags game. When Daquan Jones and Matt Milano went down on the same drive after they had lost Trey White, that was it. Because that just completely tanked what this defense could be. And they've been awful on third down. I think they're 23rd. They just can't get on the field. Losing Daquan, he was so important as a run stuffer. They've sucked there. They're 29th in rush yards allowed per attempt. They're 24th overall in defensive yards per play. So when that group has regressed so much and injuries are a huge part of it and you're having these offensive issues, it's just a recipe for a disaster season. And that's what they've had. And then, right, they have 14 turnovers in their five losses. That has obviously been killer as well. And you're absolutely right, Theo, when you talk about it being a personnel issue offensively too. There's not an elite athlete on this Bills offense in the receiving game. Like, Diggs is amazing. But when you're talking about a guy who has game-breaking speed or, you know, uh, a, a big dude who can make those big time contested catches. Like I guess Gabe's not even that big. Kincaid Kincaid's a pretty good athlete for the tight end, but he he's can't a good block, athlete for so tight end. But yeah. but I agree with you when you're talking True. about you that put a, you put him out there in the slot. Yeah, it, you put him out in the slot. Is he a better athlete than like the average exactly. slot receiver in terms of creating separation? Exactly. Yeah, I guess. Like you watch him move, and you're like, oh wow, this dude moves really well in space. But then you're like, yeah, he moves like maybe an average receiver in space. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. For for a wide receiver, if you're judging him on the wide receiver scale, which you need to do because he's, he's their, their two rec- he's like, their number two receiver by he's their far. Slot, yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that it was just kind of a, a lot of errors team building around Allen. That there were some decent ones, but just never that home run. Yeah, just never that. Like, oh my God, T Higgins. You yeah, know, like, oh my God. Oh, we drafted. That that off season that the Chiefs had, where their offensive line went from horrible to Creed Humphrey, Trey right. Smith, and and Joe Tooney, you know, you just need a a home run out of the park, and and maybe Von Miller could have been that if he didn't tear his Achilles yeah. last year, but he did, and yeah. it, it's just never really come to fruition for the Bills, and you know, Allen opens your window for a long time, but it it, it might be time for a new kind of era of Bills football. If they had traded up two to three picks and gotten Jordan Addison or Zay Flowers, do you guys feel differently about this offense? I do. I think that that would have been better. I think that that would have been better. And I I always remember, and I've talked about this a lot on podcasts, like an underrated turning point was when the Chiefs traded in front of them and took Trent McDuffie and they were forced to settle for Kair Alam. Oh my God. Who they did not want to draft. Like they were visibly disappointed in that draft video that they weren't able to get McDuffie and McDuffie looks like a, looks like a all pro. And 
I Alam is a healthy scratch. Yeah. So that was another opportunity where they, maybe they could have had a home run and and just got outfoxed by the Chiefs. Yeah. Kyer's the biggest miss of the Bean era, I think. Definitely when you're looking at first rounders, like to be unplayable. That's pretty rough, man. So the Bills' disappointment continues. I was interested in your perspective on this, Theo, and I think that uh, lots of good insight there. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources so we've talked about injuries a lot already on this show but the one that was sort of the breaking news at the start of this week was that deshaun watson is out for the year with a shoulder injury we've seen consistently throughout this season this be a nagging issue they say it's a non-issue but then he misses starts and now it's official that he's going under the knife so uh, what does this mean for the browns not much honestly i i <laughs> They think that he's still paying a lot of. They're still paying him a lot of money. He's still going to be the starter next year. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think that he took the leap that he needed to take in the second season. I know that he was playing a little better recently, but still, even versus the the Ravens, there were plenty of uh, plenty of reps where I was like, I just don't know what he works on at practice. <laughs> I like I don't know what he studies. I seriously don't like. It doesn't feel like there's a single concept that the Browns have that he feels really good about. Uh-huh. Like read option, he makes their bad, he makes the wrong decisions on read option. He keeps it when he should hand it off. Like quick game, he holds. Like there'll be things wide open for him, and he'll he'll hold it. Like he doesn't go through his progressions. <laughs> he holds it, and if it's not there, he bails on stuff yeah. all the time. And that was the case during the during the Ravens game. And then in the second half, when his shoulder was messed up, they were basically like it's a must check down type of environment and yeah he was able to be accurate underneath sure like congratulations but really the biggest plays in this game were a were a blocked field goal were two picks by Lamar yeah um so the run game was going and they were able to mount a comeback with really conservative play calling which like is kind of fluky to me so i i just don't ever think that Watson showed the the precision, the accuracy, the timing, um, you know, any kind of rhythm that he showed on the Texans uh, this season. And there's absolutely no quarterback stat out there, DVOA, EPA, accuracy, you know, sack to pressure ratio or, you know, assigning him blame for when he does go down. Like all of it would suggest that he's been a a bottom 10 quarterback in the league this year. He, He doesn't crack the top 20 in any major stat that I could find. So like Browns fans can say, you know, oh, he's turned the corner, but it's like, what kind of the corner from 25th to 22nd, you know, in the league, like who cares? So 
they have an elite defense and a quarterback that probably limits their their Super Bowl ceiling. And I think that was true before the Watson injury, and I think it's still true now just mm-hmm. to a bigger degree so I, I honestly don't think it changes much for them and moving forward you're right it doesn't change a whole lot for them either way because you are handcuffed to Deshaun Watson there's not really anything you can do it was an unprecedented contract when he got it a fully guaranteed uh, and one that deal. hasn't been surpassed since it happened no, even because, with all the quarterback because contracts it's the season. dumbest contract in NFL history nobody should ever give out a contract like that I mean that that's a really messed up part about it Theo as you talk about you don't know what he does in practice Deshaun Watson quite literally has no incentive to, one, play no, football or to get better at football. There is no incentive. Like, most guys don't need that. Most guys are internally motivated and love football and love getting out there and playing hard. Some guys do need that fire under their ass. You remember Albert Hainsworth? He got that bag and then got fat. He couldn't, he couldn't run from one side of the field to the other, man. Like, there was no incentive after that point. And you're right, Theo. We're never going to see another contract like that. It is the most mind-boggling, baffling contract ever, especially to Deshaun. I, I completely agree with you, though. They're 6-3 and three with the worst QB play in the NFL. This defense is number six in scoring, number one in DVOA. They're the number one third down defense in the league, number four uh, in terms of passing yards per attempt, and number nine in defensive rushing yards per attempt. Uh, this season, the Browns' QB room is 207 passing yards per game, eight TDs to 12 picks with a 57% completion percentage and a QBR of under 32. But never fear, gentlemen. Never fear. Joe Flacco is coming to save the day. Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is coming to save the day. (laughs) Yeah. It's really interesting, Theo. You talk about people saying that Deshaun, like, turned the corner. He's played a game and a half of good football this year. (laughs) Like, he has mostly been really, really bad. And when he was healthy... We were saying, well, the one thing holding the Browns back is quarterback play. And whether it's been him or PJ Walker or DTR, like, of course, he's better than those guys. And yeah, I guess he was trending slightly in the right direction, but he's still sucked this year. Logan reads out those quarterback stats. He's responsible for half of that. And you have 12 games now between last season and this of meaningfully below average quarterback play from him. So... I don't have optimism. And yeah, he has a $64 million cap hit in 2026. Wow. We can beat this horse to death and then beat it while it's dead. But how much is the cap hit overall? Like what's the max? Like how much money do they have? It's yeah, man. How are they going to pay the defense? (laughs) (laughs) They're not like they're legitimately going to lose great defensive players. And this roster is going to regress because of what they have to play to Sean. But that's just the bummer to me is like how great this defense is and how they've even survived the Chubb and Conklin injuries to still be a six and three football team right now. If they had above average quarterback play, this would be a bona fide Super Bowl contender. But guess yeah. what? The football karmic gods are making them pay for an <laughs> ethically questionable decision. And uh, that's just going to be the case for the next five years. I don't see Deshaun like being good again. No, it's, it's, I mean, if it didn't happen this year, I get maybe last year saying, well, when right. he was suspended, he couldn't even practice with the team. So when he came in, he came in totally cold and they averaged 13 points a game in the, in the performances that yeah. he started, yeah. which is obviously atrocious. So going into the year, it's like, there's really no evidence that he's any good at all, but you know, you have all the off season to get familiar with the playbook. Right. If there's one, like. Maybe he looked more accurate this year. Maybe he made more plays with his legs. 
he didn't look like he understood the concepts any better. Yeah. And it's not like he was getting the ball out of his hands like quickly no. and or or trusting any kind of scheme. Yeah. And that was blatantly obvious even in the Ravens game. Mm-hmm. Um, so next year, I know that that 14 for 14 stat in the second half is going to be used to hype up the Browns <laughs> again. Like, look at what happened the last time we saw Watson. It's like. Yeah, man, sure. Yeah. Like I, I, I think that they're gonna get overrated next next year. And that's Jerome Ford is good though. I'll give him Jerome that. Ford still carrying my fantasy team right now. That's the other baffling <laughs> aspect of this to me, Theo. Like you mentioned, we had six games of not bad QB tape, like horrendous QB tape, and the Browns said, yeah. "Yeah, let's go into this season with an XFL quarterback and a rookie quarterback as our backups. Let's trade Josh Dobbs yeah, the day before the Dobbs. season starts." And no, get this, and let's let Jacoby Brissett walk to Washington too, man. Also like true. two of the best quarterbacks you could ask for to back up your guy in your room, and they just let him walk. The Browns is the Browns, man. It's Browns type shit, bro. It's Browns <laughs> type shit. This is what they've been doing forever. It's unreal, and I totally agree with you, Theo, when you talk about like his discomfort in this offense. He is so much more reliant on his athleticism and just bailing on plays. And, of course, he's always been great out of structure. It's a huge part of what made him special in Houston, but he was also just like a really good pocket passer. And mm-hmm. you don't see yeah. any of that. He's spraying balls over the field. He can't get through his progressions. D-hop merchant. D-hop merchant. Wow. <laughs> he wow. didn't have D-hop, D-hop in 2020. Did he actually not have D-hop that year? He was No, he was crazy yeah. that year. 2020 was nuts. No, he was a I think top was, five quarterback. He may have been the best that mm-hmm. season, considering the supporting cast he had to work with. Because I'm trying to remember who wide receiver one was that year. It's still Fuller, I think he right? had Cooks. He had Cooks. He may have had Fuller. Let's look. This it up. may have been wow. Jordan wow. Can you, can as you, number three. Can you get the three? You got Cooks and Fuller as the one and two. Oh shit! It was Snead there no, at that dude, time. No, this is no. This really is disgusting. Oh, this is disgusting. I've got it up. It's it's. Is Chris Moore? Was Chris Moore there? He's a boy. He's a boy of yours, Theo. Yeah, you know this guy. Oh, Knows your organization well. Randall Cobb. <laughs> Cobb was the number three receiver that year. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, Kiki Kuti got in on the fun. Mm. Ah, wow. Kiki, how could I forget Kiki Kuti? Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. Was Brevin there? Or did Brevin, was he a tight end? Uh, I, he's a dog in Madden. That's all I really can say about Brevin. I don't think so. Jordan Akins was their tight end. Darren Fells was their tight end, too. They had Cal Bears Fels. legend Chad Hansen out there. This is ridiculous. Like 20 dudes caught passes from Deshaun this year because even the receivers he did have didn't stay healthy Fuller missed a handful of games Cobb Kuti ridiculous stuff okay yeah he played yeah yeah so he played out of his mind he really he really did talk about the Browns making it to this point at six and three with all this bad quarterback play who's a team you guys look at right now good or bad and think their record is the most misrepresentative of what they actually are as a football team Besides the Steelers. Well, you can go Steelers. <laughs> Logan declared we weren't going to talk Steelers. I think they're a good candidate here. It's Well, it's definitely the Steelers. It's got to be. <laughs> I, I feel like, I mean, they've gotten outgained in every game, right? That's yeah. the stat yeah. that's going around. It's unbelievable. We went through and looked at, like, just their yards per play in every category. They're 20th <laughs> or lower as a pass offense, pass defense, run offense, and run defense. Like, it's just obscene. I will give them this. They are average running the football. 
Let's go. And below, <laughs> that's that's about as good of uh, hey, last you could hey, say. That last couple weeks. Is Minka coming back? Minka is apparently. Uh, we're supposed we we're reportedly starting some guy named Trenton Thompson this week. The safety play has really been um, abysmal. Ab- abysmal. T- Dude, Thompson was out. getting cooked by Jordan Love, man. Hey, whoa, that hey, feels personal. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Jordan Love balled against the Steelers. I still have hope. I I think the Steelers, you know, with their passing offense and and their line and. I, I don't think really Pickett's the guy, and there's mm-hmm. not really a, a third option besides Pickens and Deontay Johnson, well, who each have like a fatal flaw, mm-hmm. like which is unfortunate. They're both really good at at something. Like Johnson's a great separator. Can he catch? No, <laughs> but um, he can separate. And then Pickens, he can catch. He can't mm-hmm. separate. So like, if they did the fusion dance, they'd be crazy. <laughs> but like. To have two receivers who are, like, flawed in their own right and then not really a number three with a bad quarterback and bad offensive line. And to me, I, I like, it's a, it's just a bad offense. And bad offense doesn't usually – it's not a good enough defense because the safeties are so bad. And, like, the outside corners outside of Joey Porter have not been great. Like, it, it's just not a very talented No, roster, I mean, but. top to bottom, we're not great. And I think you point out think – about the, think about the teams that we've lost to this season – the Texans, the Jaguars, the Niners. Uh, Niners are legitimately good, but with the Jags and Texans, it's like if you can reach a requisite average level offensively and, again, not screw it up, you beat the Steelers. I will say, I think our line's been better. Uh, we've started Broderick Jones. He is the man. Uh, awesome run blocker. Uh, yep. Monster. Uh, I think James Daniels has been great on the right side. Our right side of the line has been phenomenal, and I think – Getting Canada on the sideline with mixing up the running game with Warren and Najee has really been health, uh, really been helpful. Uh, Theo, I think you're exactly right about Kenny Pickett, though. When your quarterback is that limited, like Kenny's, I don't know, man, 28, 27. I haven't gone through all the QBs. I mean, he's bottom five for me. He stinks. And like you said, <laughs> we've been without Pat Fryer move too, for all season long. So it's really brutal not having another guy that you can count on. It's a struggle to get to 20 points every week with Pittsburgh, and if our defense doesn't completely shut down the other team, they have no chance of winning. Yeah, no. The Steelers stink. I, I, will they make the playoffs? I don't know, man. I, that seems really— They have a very easy schedule. Yeah. Very, yeah. very easy. I still wouldn't go with the Steelers. I, I think they're low-hanging fruit. I'd probably go with the 49ers. I think that a lot of people booted them out of their top 10 after mm-hmm. the skid— they add Chase Young. They have still some of the best skill talent in the league, a top-notch offensive line. And, again, if Brock Purdy plays well, they're a you know top-five team in football. So I'd probably go with the Niners just because I don't want to bag on the Steelers any more than I have to here. So I'll say San Francisco just because a lot of people I know are completely off the Niner train after their little skill. Really? Interesting. I would not be out on the Niners. I think that they are a decent candidate just because they have three losses and – I would still have them as a top three team in football. The Steelers do make a really good case, man, just because they aren't good in their six and three. The one thing I will say 
is that we can't act like this is totally unsustainable just because it is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they were a terrible offense last year. They were the number 26 scoring offense. They had a significantly negative point differential, and they won nine games. And two years ago, they were the number 21 offense with a significantly negative point differential, and they went 9-7-1. and one. Like, they just do this, man. The Duck Hodge is Mason Rudolph year. They put up 18 points per game. They were the Faith number 27 vibes, scoring man. offense. Faith and they and won vibes. eight games. And, like, this is the weakest defense of all of those groups, but they still find a way, dude. They still get <laughs> defensive touchdowns whenever they need it. I don't know. Is Tomlin hey. the GOAT? Is Mike Dude, Tomlin know, the sorcerer? Right? <laughs> is Mike Tomlin the greatest? He's, he coach is, ever? and he's also not because he also keeps like he's part of the reason that the yes. offense has been so bad <laughs> in this place because he's the one that keeps Matt Canada employed. I I don't I did a big study on the Steelers' <laughs> offense last year for some reason. I ch I charted like every single offensive play that they made for like the back half of the season. By the end, I knew their play calls. Like I could tell you exactly <laughs> like not even by the end, by like. <laughs> By like the middle of the second mm -hmm. game, you're like, <laughs> all right, this end, is all end they end got. Gunner, well, literally, there's. I don't know if it's the case this year if they have like this version, but last year, it was if Miles Boykin or Gunner Olszewski is on the field, it is going to be a zone run. Like they are going to go into motion, work across the formation, and try to cut at the legs of the guy. Like if they are on the field at all. That is 100% of the time what is going to happen. It's like they're going to move across the formation and either block or it's just going to be a little pass out to them in the flat. And it's like that over and over and over again. Like Canada, you just – and every passing play is like stick. Like someone takes up the <laughs> sideline and then just someone break towards the, the sideline real quick and hit him out there. He, he's he, – He's been better on, like, the last two games on the sideline, but it's still a very predictable offense. I will say the one red flag I have about this team, uh, outside of what you guys have already laid out, I am really concerned about the linebackers taking a real step back. Oh, God, hurt, uh, right. Lose Cole Holcomb for the season. Uh, they lose uh, Quan Alexander last week to an Achilles injury. So our starters are now Alandon Roberts, Mark Robinson, and Michael Walker. Those are the guys getting the uh, reps in the middle. Robinson and Landon Roberts, good tacklers, good run stoppers. Uh, they cannot guard anybody over the middle of the field. So I am, despite us having an easy schedule the rest of the way, I am really worried about, with the Minka injury, with the two guys in the middle gone, I am worried about them kind of getting dissected over the middle of the field. What? Robinson will be an interesting, an interesting watch. He sucks, Theo. <laughs> he sucks, Theo. He sucks. I'm not going to lie. He's slow. He's small. He's tiny. He can tackle. He's tiny. He's small, dude. He's really small. He's like 5'11", mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I'll be interested to see, like, the type of <laughs> the type of season he has here as a starter. I remember him coming in last year, and I was, like, kind of intrigued, but I wasn't ready to call him good. But I was intrigued mostly because of, like, the number he wears and his body type. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like number ninety three, and he's like five. He's like a yeah. five ten, two hundred pound linebacker. It's pretty like, hard. What, what is happening here? That's pretty hard. I think a, I think a team that might be better than their record suggests, or like general consensus right now, it might be the Bills, just because they do have Josh Allen, and they are at the top of a lot of the offensive st stats because they have him. Yeah. Um, at five and five, like there might be another stretch like he had weeks two through nine where. Like, the turnovers do get better, and they yeah. put a lot of points on the board. Like, I, I think they're always capable of it. 
and you know maybe Vaughn does get worked in a little bit more somehow like they, they what if they just beat the brakes off the Jets this week like I, I think it's very possible yeah. that they do so as a 500 team I think that they're prime candidates to to like if anyone can work their way back into the playoffs, it's a great quarterback like Josh Allen. I saw Rodgers do it a bunch of times, like yeah. R-E-L-A-X, and I really feel like we can run the table. Like sometimes these quarterbacks just find a way to, to go God mode and get it done. So they, they might be a team that's up there. Same thing with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Like he looks back, back these last couple of weeks. Like he's playing at an unbelievably yeah. high level. Nothing else about the Chargers roster moves me at all, but like just because you have that, like you're going to be a pretty formidable threat. Yeah, I think the Bills are a good candidate, just in that they are not a like five and five level football team. They went into last week second in point differential, but at the same time, this is six weeks where they haven't felt like a good football team, and you can't be. Surprised. They're not Super Bowl contenders, not which is all. like all Bills fans care care about. It's not like oh we're better than our five and five <laughs> exactly. record, like hang the banner banner. It's like. It doesn't matter if you're not winning the Super Bowl, but the Bills might be better than they yeah. their record currently looks. Yeah, and they have a brutal schedule down the stretch. They have to play the Chiefs. They have to play the Eagles. They have to play the Cowboys. They do have the Chargers. They're capable of beating any of those teams. They have that level of upside, but with the defensive regression and with all the offensive issues right now, they're not that. The much schedule better. is the schedule's insane. It might, it might, they might be better than their record, but it might never come to fruition exactly. in, in this back half mm-hmm. of the season. Exactly, because yeah. you had to beat the Jets without totally beating yourself. You had to beat the Broncos without totally beating yourself, right? If you were sitting at seven and three right now, all right, you can stumble your way to ten wins, and maybe it's underwhelming. But now it's like you have to actively beat teams that are better than you to make the playoffs, and. That feels like a tall ask. I will say on the flip side of that 5-5 five and five record, and I sort of already took a shot at this team last week, but I think it's insane that the Raiders are 5-5 five and five right now. Like, this <laughs> yeah, is man. such a bad offense. The quarterback play has been so bad all year. Their wins are narrowly escaping the Broncos when they were at their worst, narrowly escaping the Packers, narrowly escaping the Pats, and then they actually beat up on the Giants, but then narrowly escaping the Jets. There's just not a single team that this team does really well. Like, obviously, Max Crosby is amazing, and this defense has been respectable, but it's still not a great defense, and the offense is awful, and I just think they are going to get boat raced in this upcoming stretch of their schedule. And I said that last week. I said they were going to lose by 150 to the Colts, and some people got upset by that. Everybody was saying that I had clearly bet $10,000 on them to beat the Jets, and I'm like, no, guys. <laughs> I'm just having a little fun with the Raiders. Antonio Pierce. ASU, ASU legend ASU Antonio Pierce. Jack Jones. Jack Jones coming back. Can't wait to see how Let he gets cook. in trouble. That's going to be exciting. He and AP reunited, <laughs> hey. man. That's like peak Shaq and Kobe when it comes to getting into trouble. I wonder if Mark Davis <laughs> will give Antonio Pierce the the head coaching nod if they finish it out somewhat. I don't think they're going to finish strong because I don't think that their offense – like I don't think their line is good or their quarterback is good yeah. or – yeah, you know, so it'll probably come crashing down. They were able to beat the Jets in a game where basically their only offense was like get the ball to your playmakers on the perimeter via screen, yeah. and like <laughs> the Jets could only get field goals even though they were moving the ball on the on the defense. Yeah. So it's like I I don't think they're going on any kind of winning streak here, but if they do. You got Mark Davis, the poorest owner in the league, who just gave out 10 and (laughs) six-year deals Mm -hmm. to head coaches. He might just be like, 
give me the guy who worked for the vet minimum probably and Antonio Pierce for this franchise. Yeah, and just like catastrophically bad hires, even if you took out the contracts, like such big misses. Gruden was a good. Hey, sure, but I cannot say I'm a. Gr- I agree. I'm not a agree. John Gruden stand, yeah. but. He mm-hmm. was good until agreed, but embroiled in scandal and therefore <laughs> yes, having to be yes. fired is still a pretty, pretty big red flag. It is. I still it, think it that makes a it a legitimately bad hire. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. It definitely does. Okay. I just wonder if Antonio Pierce is going to give Mark Davis a lineup. Nah, I don't. Antonio Pierce would never be embroiled in, in, a, straight, in a scandal. <laughs> Surely now they've hired the most clean and honorable coach that there is in all of the land. After two, after two egomaniacs that that the team fell apart under, they've hired someone with a spotless the Raiders track man. record. There is nothing. And nobody more beloved than a new head coach who wins opening week and who talks about how they're Mm going to rebuild the culture and they get what it means to be part of the organization. And they're telling these stories about how, like, at Long Beach Poly, they're up 60 at halftime (laughs) and he's got them running gassers for the whole 15 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Did Jaden Daniels attend Long Beach Poly? Do we know this? I don't think Jaden Daniels did, but a lot of ASU guys did. He recruited a lot of dudes from Long Beach Poly. He recruited Daniels, right? I think he did. He was a really good recruiter. He did. Yeah. He was, Well, it was all illegal. <laughs> <laughs> of course, looking he, back he, on it, there were some other factors at play. The FBI has been building their case even, even – Dude, those, yes. That dropped – that case dropped like something was happening when we were there. Yeah. And we are now all gone, and they still haven't said what's going to happen to us. Yeah. That's how big <laughs> – they're like trying to get their ducks in a row for like three years before they like yeah wipe Arizona State off the face of the earth. Dude, I, I think guess. I think AP is an industry plant. I think they had to get him to NFL head coaching status so they could get the most resources <laughs> dedicated towards the impending investigation. Jack Jones is a Long Beach Poly guy, so yes, he is. That's why I asked. Yeah. I'm like, is is Jane Daniels to the Raiders imminent that they're just building the Long Beach Poly ASU <laughs> team, which could still happen? I was just trying to see if the pieces really fit with the high school connection. Yeah, Jaden Daniels would be interesting. He's Southern California, but I don't think he's Long Beach Poly. But all right, so we've talked a little bit about some of the storylines that might fit into this category, but there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As we wrap things up here, just over the course of this season, what's one thing that you guys have heard discussion about, that you guys have heard narrative developing about in terms of like mainstream NFL discourse that you just think is is totally wrong? I'll go. I'll, Caleb Williams is a bust dialogue. Oh, that's a great choice. Great choice. <laughs> Caleb, I I have very he's still my QB one. I, I think Drake May is fantastic. But Caleb is is very special. Um, I think that his tendency to hold the ball for a long time and make things happen out of structure is overall like a positive force for the USC offense, which is why he does it. I'm not necessarily sold that he can't do anything else. I just think that like he just breaks every tackle and you know can make the, any throw from any angle anywhere. So it's like why not? And I think Lincoln Riley really encourages him, and Cliff Kingsbury, who's encouraged this behavior every single place that he's ever been Mm -hmm. is like, just man, hold it. And like, we're going to design a second life into these plays. And like, you're going to, it's, it's an offense 100% dependent on Caleb Williams making those plays. So he does. And he does. I think that he has exhibited a really special ability to make plays. And um, just because he's not a pocket passer doesn't mean that he's not a good football player. I think he's been the best football player in every single game that he has ever played at USC. So, or at Oklahoma for that matter, like mm-hmm. just a, a truly dominant force at the college football world. He gets a lot of comparisons to Zach Wilson, who, you know, was all out of structure. As someone who is low on Zach Wilson coming out of BYU, like he was playing New Mexico Tech and, <laughs> and looking like the best right. player out there. And, and a lot of his plays were seriously jump balls to Dax Milne, who was an NFL player. Um, a couple of his offensive linemen were NFL players. Like that's just not really the case in the Pac-12 with USC right now. Like they're not that head and shoulders above everybody. Like yeah. in terms of, so so the low being low on Caleb Williams after this USC losing streak where Alex Grinch allows fifty a game, I think is totally unfair. Imagine Caleb Williams with a defense that was like normal and like yeah, or a or a coaching staff that was like interested in a normal game script 21 to 28 game yeah instead it's like on him totally to make plays and put up 60 every week and he does so i i think that he's a pretty special prospect maybe not perfect like he does like when you there are open guys that maybe he turns down like he does what he does is unsustainable but i think that he can be different in the nfl i I just think like right now he kind of has to play differently because the defense has been so bad. So I'm still a huge uh, Caleb Williams fan. Since Trevor? Pretty easily. I mean, who's been there since? Maybe, looking back on it, maybe Stroud should have been because he kind of was perfect at OSU. Uh (laughs) Like, he was amazing in Like, his accuracy was super high level on all kinds of concepts down the field. Like, his accuracy was good on the move. It was just like... Well, how much will this translate when you go from Ohio State with everyone around you as a first-round pick to the Texans? And clearly, the answer was everything. So maybe, like looking back on it, Stroud should have been should have been viewed as more of that guy by by me and really everybody besides Chris Sims. Shout out Chris Sims for 
he was really the one that was pounding the the Stroud drum. So I got to exclude him in this. But like most most analysts, I think felt pretty similar to Lee to me, where it's like we just don't know how it'll translate outside of that situation. Yeah. So, but I I like Caleb more than I liked Stroud at the time. Lawrence was the first year I scouted anybody. I I really liked Lawrence. Like his pocket presence was immaculate. Like huge arm, like great reading the field. Um, so he may have checked more boxes, but you know, he, Justin Herbert might check more boxes than Mahomes right now in terms of skill set. Uh-huh. That's that's kind of how I feel about May versus Williams. Is like as a pocket passer, May is better. Yeah, but still what Caleb's doing might be more impressive, you know? So we'll see how it projects. But yeah, I think Caleb's Caleb's definitely the best in, that I have looked at since, since Lawrence. I mean, there was the Ritter year that <laughs> the Howell Ritter corral, like that. I think that was the only yeah. year in between. Are we ever going to see a year like that again? Kenny, of course, but like, I hope, I hope not. I hope not. I, I remember watching Malik Willis, <laughs> Who is like projected to go like number two in the draft, yeah. like in all the mocks? I'm like, this guy looks undraftable. <laughs> this guy looks dog like terrible. Yeah. Um, same thing with Corral, <laughs> Ritter and, and Pickett were. I liked Ritter the most, but I didn't like Howell either. But hey, they're all they're the all best. fringe NFL starters. You know, you got three of those guys out of the class, so. That's something, but I'm totally with you on the Caleb point. I think he's incredible. It's crazy how fast you can go from generational prospect to uh, bust. Zach Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to Zach Wilson. Based really just on team results and maybe painting nails and crying after a football game. And the Notre Dame game. The Notre Dame game, he was legitimately bad. Right, but but even watching that Notre Dame game, like you can tell he's the best player out uh-huh. there. Like he was just forcing shit. Yeah, you know, like the picks were horrible, but like just watching him move around, like you can tell that there's no Notre Dame player better at football than him. Yeah. He just made some bad mistakes, you know, which obviously isn't good. But you say that you, like bad mistakes don't make Josh Allen a bad quarterback. Of like a lot of people say, you know, I think it's kind of the same deal. I'm 100% with you on the upside of great creators like that. Totally outweighing. And it's obviously not like Caleb's been mistake prone. He had a mistake prone game. No, he's thrown, he's thrown like 14 picks in yeah. a thousand career pass yeah. attempts at, yeah. at USC. It's not like bad picks are a common theme with him. I, I think he's incredible. Not at all. I really do think that if USC had like not a bottom 10 defense in all of college football, everybody would still be frothing at the mouth over Caleb. So it's a silly way of viewing things. There is a quarterback that does like to throw pretty bad picks, and that's where I'm going to go with this question. Uh, One narrative that's been developing during the season is that Tua is legitimate MVP candidate, which I just baffles me, man. I don't even think Tua is the best MVP candidate on his own team. You're talking to the right guy. Uh, Yeah. Bro has found the choir he's preaching to it. Go on, go on. No. <laughs> I just, I, I don't get, I know statistically, like, you can look at the numbers, 2,609 yards, 19 TDs, 7 picks, whoopie woo, you know, the <laughs> Dolphins are 6-3. and three. The teams they've beat have a cumulative record of 13-34. and 34. They've beaten three of the worst teams in the league, the Pats twice, the Giants, the Panthers. In victories, I'll give them credit, you know, 320 passing yards, three TDs, one pick, 70% completion percentage. But against the three real teams they've played, or even remotely real teams, Buffalo, Kansas City, Philly, they lose all the games. 
He goes from 320 yards to 230. He goes from three TDs to one TD. And he goes from one interception to basically one turnover per game uh, with less than completion percentage. And I feel like all the big plays that I think of with Tua are just missed throws or wounded duck picks. Like, I I don't know, man. Like, I'm not – shout out to Tua for being – Good in the system, man. He's not a top 10 QB, and he damn sure isn't an MVP candidate. Like, if we're going to reward somebody on that offense, can we please give it to Tyreek? Like, I I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I don't get it week in, week he, out. He's a top, he's probably a top 10 quarterback, especially now, because all the other candidates have gone down with, with the injury. But he's he's not in that elite yeah. tier. Um, the the mm-hmm. accuracy and the, and the rhythm and the timing, I think, is all very impressive with him, and not everybody could do it. But, like... I think especially versus the Chiefs, it was clear like he's such a liability mm-hmm. out of structure. Yeah. Like he just he's got nothing. Um, and on those deep shots, like it's it's clear that he is he's a pretty bottom tier NFL athlete. And I just don't know how you could give him the MVP can't like the MVP over a guy like Mahomes who mm-hmm. has the same numbers, but you know his wide receivers are way worse yeah. than what. <laughs> Tua is dealing with and I think even Kelsey has lost a step this year unless his girlfriend is in attendance um <laughs> the tackles have been bad in Kansas City the the guards like the interior of the offensive line which is usually a bunch of all pros like hasn't quite been up to their usual par although certainly not a negative force for the team and he still has numbers just as good as Tua and is at the top of all the you know the advanced analytics in terms of quarterback play and, like, the structure around him is not what Miami has right now. And he's actually beat good teams, Miami being one of them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the head-to-head doesn't really matter. But still, he's gotten it done against, like, better teams than Tua has. So yeah. I don't know where the argument for Tua MVP comes from. Not that he's not in the conversation or maybe, like, if you were to make a top 10, maybe I'd put him in there because yeah. there's not that – mm-hmm. th- it hasn't been a good year for NFL, like, offense no. in general. So – for the for the quarterback of the number one team, like yeah, sure, throw him in there. But to put him over Mahomes right now, or even a guy like I think Dak, like I'd probably vote for Dak above two or, mm-hmm. or a couple different quarterbacks. And yeah, Tyreek, like he's he's super. Lamar, Lamar Hurts yeah. Hurts has been so much better recently too. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably put them over him as well. So I I I, I don't think two is trash, but he's not an MVP candidate. I feel a bit bad, honestly, because whenever we talk about Tua, it feels like we are just trying to bring expectations in the conversation a bit more down to earth, and sometimes that can come across more negatively than intended. Like, of course, Tua doesn't suck. Everything you guys said, I totally agree with. When he is able to throw with ideal timing, his anticipation, his placement is excellent, but he is so so privileged he throws to his first read i think more than like any other quarterback in football because his first read is pretty it, much always great it has to be because his time to throw is like yeah. 2.3 seconds so it's yeah. like clearly things are are working pre-snap because yeah. and <laughs> like you can just make that decision exactly he's playing time. with i think the best offensive coach in football he is playing on the fastest offense that i have ever seen so I love the way that you articulate this, Theo, when you say that quarterback stats are always passing offense stats. It's just 100% true, and people try to make these apples-to-apples comparisons. You can't compare Tua's stats in a vacuum to Josh Allen's, and one of them is doing so much to go above and beyond creating and trying to overcome circumstance, and the other is just doing a good job of executing an offense in an incredibly privileged situation, and then we've seen it. 
like Logan, you mentioned the stats in the three games against the good football teams. I think those are the only top 20 scoring defense that the Dolphins have faced this year. Like those are the only respectable teams that they've played. And I saw it in person against the Bills. I was at that game. And when you're able to get pressure, when you're able to disrupt that timing, when you're able to force him outside of the pocket, it's not just that he can't make those high upside plays. That's when he starts to melt down. And that's when he starts to get careless with the football and make some of those killer mistakes. So I think that we we all agree on this, and we are literally yeah, preaching him and, to the him choir. and Brock Purdy both. Him and Brock Purdy both, because Purdy's numbers are just as good, if not better, than Tua's, and he's not an MVP candidate. Yeah, to me, I, they're very similar, and I think that Purdy does do a little bit more creating out of structure. I think he's a little bit of a better athlete. He's got a little bit more of that magician in him, but for the most part, mm-hmm. he's but he's worse. But he's worse at the timing and accuracy. Agreed. Part of it, I would say. Agreed, and I think that he is probably a bit more careless with the football as well. I think they both have those like head scratching interceptions more often than some people might think, but Purdy, I think is more prone to trying to do too much probably. Whereas Tua sometimes it's just like, Oh wow. He literally can't get that ball there. Or, you know, he is under pressure and things start to fall apart a little bit. Very quickly. I think that Theo, your Caleb take, sort of reminds me of the Kyler Murray situation that we were looking at where everybody decided before this year, not everybody, but there was a significant portion of the NFL fandom that was like, oh yeah, this guy's just not good. And you would see these quarterback tier lists and it would be like Daniel Jones, two tiers above Kyler. And I think, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. already in his return, we have been reminded of what he is as a one man offense, how uniquely great he is extending plays and creating outside of structure and the arm talent that you see on the throw to basically win the game last week and how he extended that play as well like uh, kyler's really good at football i do think that arizona is going to move off him i think that that situation it just seems like the relationship is fractured but i think that if they do they are going to get a real haul for him and i think that he can be a really good quarterback on a really good team with a better roster and situation i don't know if they'll move off of him but yeah. I agree that he's he's a valuable quarterback and, a, and an engine to the to the offense. And if you're a team like Minnesota without a without a starter, and I could see I could see it happening. I could see it happening if he prove if he shows that he's like worth the contract. Yeah. And the Cardinals have a really high draft pick, and they have the opportunity to add Caleb, who I think is like better than Kyler Murray, like a better prospect than Kyler Murray. Yeah. Um, I, I could see it happening, but. I also think you could get a haul for that, like a way bigger haul for that first overall pick. And if you already have Kyler, you might, you might trade that. Would you that Drake May chance to get an absolute? I mean, yeah, they already have the Texans pick. So would you view it as if they get the number one pick, which they're probably not at this point now that they have two wins, but they still could. If you had number one, would you take Caleb and trade Kyler? And if you had any other pick, would you trade the pick or draft outside the quarterback position and keep Kyler? Man, it's tough to say. And it's it's tough to say when you don't know what the market for Kyler is like. Yeah, I would say sure. if if the market for the first overall pick is like way bigger than what you'd get for Kyler, boy, I don't know. I'd probably trade the pick. At number one. Get, get so many resources. Like you could get maybe three firsts and guy like you could build a yeah. really, really good team. But if it's like even, I don't know. Maybe you, you you take Caleb on the rookie deal, and 
you know, he's he's probably a pretty Kyler-esque in the first place. So you're just kind of resetting that timeline. You already have a bunch of draft resources. Why not need more? Like, you probably don't need too many more, like, to build a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's a fascinating. I don't know about the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think with Kling, Kingsbury and, and I guess Bidwill is still there, the yeah. owner who's terrible. Yeah. So maybe he's... Yeah, I don't, and they he, they did put in that video game contract. Yeah, <laughs> clause that's, in his contract, that, so you could be right. That's a real component in my thinking. Is it just feels like the vibes and the relationship are bad, and also like the fan base. Maybe this will change. Maybe they'll see now how bad things can be without Kyler, and he'll come back, and maybe he wins them a couple games in unbelievable fashion. And then they're like, oh wow, he's our savior. But it felt like everybody was kind of just done with him, like Cardinals fans. Yeah, and I agree. There comes a point Cardinals where Cardinals teammates, Cardinals honestly, teammates, too. and obviously yeah. they gave him the massive contract. But when you're five years deep with a relationship and it feels like things have stagnated, sometimes it just runs its course, and it's not a question of the talent of the guy. It's just like, all right, this situation we're kind of done and we're going to move on and we're going to try to pivot. And if they do get a high enough pick this year, and if they do have a quarterback talent that they like enough, I could really see that happening. And I do think as big as that contract is teams would, would move a lot for Kyler because a game changing quarterback talent like that, it's what literally everybody is looking for. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's, it's the most fascinating, like, dynamic in the league right now easily yeah I, I there's no one else that important who's maybe justin jefferson but like yeah yeah Ky- i think kyler's more likely to get moved unfortunately so it probably is him stefan diggs may be in those conversations now stefan diggs is in those conversations oh, what a bummer what a bummer it's also surprising i did not think kyler was gonna play this year I don't know. I just thought, like, with where the relationship is at, where the Cardinals were at, if he's going to miss until week 10, I thought maybe they would just let Buddy sit this one out. But it's fun to see him back out there, and I think it's going to drive up his trade value. I think Kyler playing more football is only going to be a good thing for him and for the Cardinals if they do want to move him or if they want to build around him. So, Theo... It's been an absolute delight to have you, my friend. You guys know where to find Theo, of course. He's on TikTok at Theo Ash NFL. Makes just, I would say, the best football content on the platform. Really awesome Phil breakdowns. You will inevitably learn if you watch a Theo video. And, of course, he does the Stay Hot podcast. As we said, we had Matthew on earlier. He is also the man. So really, really awesome content there as well. Uh, you guys are, of course, sponsored by Little Caesars, Pizza Pizza, Theo is uh, not an ASU bonus. alum, but yeah, that by the way, I want that in reflected in your contract. That should be an extra 20 bucks for you guys that I just <laughs> said that. But uh, pretty cool, the three of us, we were all just there at ASU Cronkite, freshman year, doing the damn thing, and here we are now. How about that? That's, that's <laughs> right. You got your flag with your coded message. Yep. And Who again, please do not reveal what that is. You got means. your volume hat. Yep. I got... No, I don't swag, have any blue wire swag. swag. I don't have any blue wire <laughs> swag. I should get some, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything it's else? Been a cra- it's been crazy. It's been crazy. No, thanks for having me on, yeah. I guess. And it's always an honor. All right. Well, it was an honor to have you, man, and it was a blast as always. So if you guys want more of our content... All of our full shows are on YouTube with video at our page, the Nerd Sesh page. We have moved off the volume page, still with the volume, love the volume, but just every volume show has its own individual page now. So if you're wondering where Hoops Tonight is, if you're wondering where Three and Out with John Middlecoff is, all of those are on their own YouTube pages. And you can listen to our show across audio platform. 
all audio, audio platforms same as ever you can follow us across social tiktok and instagram at nerd sesh twitter at nerd underscore sesh and you can check out that volume hat and the nerd sesh flags along with other assorted merch at thevolume.com. That link is in our link tree across our social media bios. If you need to get a late Thanksgiving gift for somebody, you're panicking. Oh my God, what did I get my wife for Thanksgiving? Nothing as per usual. Look at me, negligent husband. She would love, I'm pretty sure nothing a more than a nerd sesh flag or maybe a let's play today's hoop grid shirt with our faces on it. If I know your wife, that's what she's going to want for Thanksgiving. So... That's pretty much it for us. You can join our Discord, too, if you just want to talk basketball, football, be part of our community. That link is also at our link tree. So with that, as always, Theo, great to have you on. Appreciate all you guys for listening. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And I've been Theo Ash. I've been Theo. Nice. <laughs> and this was Nerd Sesh. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.